some announcements. Um, you can stay up to date on in-person and on streaming programs by following the ashram on Facebook and Instagram or subscribing to our mailing list by visiting www.theashram.com.au and clicking on the envelope at the top right hand corner of the web page. And second announcement, bring your yoga to life, Shiva process training. We have a 15% lockdown discount for online training. Uh, that's if you sign up in the next fortnight till June 12. And uh, that's if you take one of our online sessions with highly experienced Chiba process facilitators who will help you fully understand and use this transformative inner world technology. You'll learn the inner laws of upliftment and connection to the self and bring your yoga to life. So connect from anywhere in the world, from Melbourne or New York and uh, take the next step. And you can read about it and register online at our website.
everyone. Welcome to satsang. As, as you can see, our beloved Guruji is uh, taking the night off. Actually, he has a cold, uh, bronchial infection. It's not COVID, but he's been under the weather now for about a week, right? And uh, he's not quite, there he is. Watching. Aww. Swamiji, we see you. <laughs> there he is. Watching satsang. Photo by Bhaktananda. Anyways, if he was here, and on behalf of him, I'd like to uh, greet you all uh, in Baba's way, which is with great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. And usually, Swamiji would go on to say, such is the teaching of the great beings. And he says that they are the great hidden treasure of humanity. But luckily, we can drink from their well of shakti, knowledge, and love in satsang. So first of all, I wanted to uh, say hello to everyone in Radioland, because uh, Swamiji's not here to bless you with the feathers, but I'm here to say hello on his behalf. So let's begin with uh, the USA. There's, uh, in New York, there's Chandraleka, Bob, Janaki, and Lenore. Hello to all of you. And uh, in Michigan, Swami Atmananda and Kashi Ama, Sharvani and Maida. Hello. Hopefully soon, not too far away, maybe, I don't know, what are they saying? 2022, we can have overseas visitors again? Well, save all your pennies, all of you, and uh, come and visit us. And then McHenry, Illinois, we have Susie and John, and Japan, Sahadev. Sahadev's an old Baba Walla, a Baba person, and uh, he visited us for uh, quite a while, but a few years ago now. Anyways, he always threatened to move here, but I've yet to see him. In Italy, Giorgio. Hello, Giorgio. Have we met Giorgio? No. No. He's also an old Baba. Well, I hope Italy is, uh, you know, safe, that you're all safe there, you and your family. Germany, Klaus. Hi, Klaus. Hungary, Madhava. Canada, Godi. Godi's been here quite a few times. And a diehard Bhakta. And uh, she's in Canada. India, New Delhi, Raja. Hello, Raja. Nice to meet you. Welcome to Satsang. Australia, Queensland, Sunil Govindanandaji, who's soon to be a Melbourneite. And James. Hi, James and family, Indigo and the kids. And then in South Australia, Suri and Deepak, Tasmani, Swami Chityananda, New South Wales, Jagadish, Asha, and Richard. Jagadish is moving here, so they'll be here soon, Wednesday, I think. So he's making the shift to, to uh, Mount Eliza, and we'll we need him, great acupuncturist, and other things, and other modalities. Uh, 
Uh, then we have, uh, in Victoria, we have Prajna and Bernard, wishing you well. Vanima and Yogi Sri, as you saw. Vidya, Ishwari's mother. Rishi, Sharda, Chitra, Lilavati, Usha, Mira, Narada. Hello to all of you. And uh, I have to say, it's a small crowd tonight because we have quite a few ashramites who are not well, still under the weather with a cold like Swamiji. But uh, even though satsang is always great, even if there's three people, it's always great. It's better when you're all here. Uh, then we have Shanti and Sammy, Durgananda and Natji, Shivaraj, Leo, Ocean, Harvey, uh, Ambika, Jyoti, Brahmani Ma. Hello to all of you. Then we have uh, Nandi, Manohar, Chandana, Julieta, Garuda, Kiran, Salochana, and a special welcome to all of you. Chandrika, Murali, T, and Umalata. Hello, everyone. And uh, I hope you're faring well in this uh, lockdown. And uh, Simone, Chandu, Hima. And Simone, it's her first time watching, so a special hello to you. And uh, Chandu and Hima. Hima? Is that right? Oh, yeah. I remember meeting you. Well, welcome. I know you were supposed to have a visit with uh, Guruji, but unfortunately he got ill, right? Ramanaji. Ramana used to be an ashramite. Now he's a householder. But a special hello to you. And we miss you. I miss you. He was like a rock in the ashram. He never said that much, but his presence was very strong. Urvasi, Mahesh, Brahmi, hello to all of you. Vasudev, Georgina, Sumitra, Patricia. Hi, guys. See you soon, I hope. And the ashram, Guruji, as you saw. Yeah. Gita and Madhuri, who are not well. Okay, and to everyone in the room, all the ashramites, we don't pay attention to them. <laughs> We just take them for granted, you know, and use them, exploit their bodies for seva. That's, a, that's, that's all they're for. Yeah, right. <laughs> Swamiji's a failure as a cult leader. Let me just say. All right, well. I know. I'm very, I'm very naughty. I shouldn't tell you all the ashram secrets. You'll, you'll, uh... Anyway, okay. Well, first of all, what I wanted to say is, as, uh, uh, as Yogi Sri said, we're offering a special on uh, the online Shiva process training. And I just want to say that, you know, it's uh, a Shiva process. I don't know. I think, actually... Like, like Vasaguptacharya, Swamiji found it under a rock in Ganeshpuri because it's a, it's a revelation. It's a miracle technology for dealing with inner and outer blocks. And I believe that everyone 
Absolutely everyone. It doesn't matter whether you've been meditating for two months or 40 years. It's an imperative to learn this technology of understanding and deepening your experience of your own mind and how to unblock feelings. And, you know, around Baba, when Baba was alive, we used to, uh, there was a term that was used to talk about serving the guru, and it was called doing Baba's work. And Baba's work meant that as ashramites and householders, we were all responsible for keeping the shakti alive in us and finding ways to share that shakti with whoever we could. And that was considered doing Baba's work. And it's important, as Yogi Sri was saying, actually, not to become complacent. You get a hit of shakti, and then maybe you forget, or maybe you think it's not important, or it's not the last thing on your list. But, of course, in lockdown, it's a perfect opportunity to become skilled, to learn this miraculous process. First, you'll learn to work on yourself. Then you'll learn to help other people. And then you'll learn to take it into the world and use it in all situations. And it's a very simple technology. Very simple once you learn it. So for those of you overseas and interstate, it's especially valuable. It's a way of serving yourself, your family, your friends, your colleagues, your work, because it unblocks creativity, inspiration, and it's empowering. So the reason it's powerful is because two reasons. One is that it's uh, Guru's grace. It's built on uh, Swamiji's discipleship to Baba, and it was revealed to him, as I said, under, under a rock, the rock of Baba. Uh, but the other thing is because it's based on Kashmir Shaivism. And uh, I'll be talking about that during the retreat, so don't miss it. And uh, I have no doubt that Shiva process will change your life. So enroll now. You only have two weeks. Okay, so tonight, uh, because, you know, Swamiji, on Thursday, he told me, I don't think I can do satsang, because he's very croaky, and uh, his, he had laryngitis, terrible laryngitis, and so he sprung it on me. But, uh, um, you know, and I was, I was very fortunate in the early years, in the 70s and 80s, to spend time with both Swamiji and, and Baba. And uh, I didn't know, I wasn't sure what to do tonight. And then Gargiji pulled out some of his, Swamiji's old essays from the 70s. And I thought, oh, this is good. I, I want to share, share them with you all. Because uh, back then, Swamiji was on high alert when he was around Baba, or when Baba was alive, to please Baba. And uh, whether he was speaking or writing, of which he did quite a bit, 
he felt a great responsibility toward Baba and Baba's devotees and the public. He speaks to Baba's people with love and encouragement, always reminding them how great it is to be in the company of a Siddha guru. And as you have probably figured out by now, Baba was everything to him. He was father, mother, guru, and his reason for living. Now, his sense of duty is towards all of us to continue Baba's work and to uh, spread his teachings. And he takes the role of teacher very seriously. And a major reason why I was drawn to him was because I sensed or intuited a certain kind of mystical purity that I had only ever seen in one other person, and that was Baba. And remember in the 70s, and some of you may not have even been alive back then, it just occurred to me that it's 30 years since we arrived in Australia on June 11th, right? We came in 1991. And this year is 2021. That's 30 years, right? 30 years. It's been a long time. Anyways, I diverged, but that's not. So, yeah, I hadn't seen that kind of purity in anyone but Baba. And, you know, it wasn't, I wasn't the most trusting person. And, uh, but I felt immediately that I could trust both Swamiji and Baba. Why? Because I felt knew that whatever happened, they would do the right thing by me. And it's proven true. So in the 70s, Hindu gurus were just invading America. They were just starting to invade America, immigrating to the West. And Westerners, a lot of Westerners were dubious, skeptical, of course, because there's no tradition of, of guru except for Jesus in the West, really. So... Swamiji's job, it seemed like he was in the role of explaining Baba to these new devotees and disciples, how to see the guru, how to understand the guru, how to think of the guru. And most of what I'm going to share with you tonight, there are three essays, and I don't know if I'm going to get through all of them. There are three essays uh, on educating these uh, new students of Baba's to the, to the guru. Okay, you ready? Here we go. The first one he called God in the world. Our normal lives often seem to lack a spiritual dimension. At times, this feeling of lack, of, of lack is so great that we think, think heroic measures must be taken to overcome it. We think, for example, we have to rush to India and sit in a cave. Now, I'm not sure if anyone rushes to India to sit in a cave anymore. They might rush to India to take a yoga course or a meditation course, but I don't know if they rushed to India. But back then, it was still, there was, it was, you know, Baba was used to people wanting to run away from their lives and go and sit and meditate in a cave to attain realization. But if we sold all of our possessions and left our families a hundred times, we would not be closer to God. 
it's more likely that we'd be further away. And of course, as Baba traveled around the West, you know, many people wanted to just quit their jobs, drop their lives, leave their wives, leave their husbands, leave their kids, because the Shakti was so strong and then because they were so hungry for what he was offering. So Swamiji is encouraging them to stay where they are. The circumstances of our life are the outer environment. Our bodies are the nearer environment. Just as it is not necessary to torture and kill the body to find God, it is also not necessary to destroy the outer body, the conditions of our present life. A realized being can work blissfully in a factory. That might take some hard work. We'll have to ask Bolanot. He works in a factory. He's not watching tonight. <gasps> Naughty boy. Baladev. You got to get on his case. <laughs> the Siddha sees the world as God's sport. If that is the goal, it is easy to understand that world loathing and world denying movements are away from the truth, not toward it. Now, all of us get fed up with the world, you know, and want to wish it would all end. You occasionally have that thought. But, uh, you know, he's encouraging everyone not to think that way. White clothes and long beards do not make a yogi. That was quite a common sight back in the 70s. One, has, one who has retreated to meditate will always have to test his realization in the turmoil of normal life. The real yogi sees God in Wall Street, in Harlem, in city, town, and suburb. God is not only in Tibet. He is inside you. Ordinary life is a spiritual affair, full of challenges, tests, opportunities for growth. It is to be met head-on, not avoided. Among other things, the guru is most worth having. That is because he is not really an outer thing at all. He is the inner self manifested visibly for easy relationship. Easy? I don't know about that. But at least it's close. Coming across a true guru, look, let's face it, having a guru is a challenge. And back then, you know, the culture was unfamiliar with it. But now the culture is even, you know, culturally, people are still antagonistic or skeptical that the possibility of a realized being or a great being can exist. Among other things, the guru is most worth having. That is because he is not really an outer thing at all. He is the inner self manifested visibly for easy relationship. Coming across a true guru or even reading about him responsibly means that you have reached an advanced state. So Baba used to say that you meet the guru, you come into contact with the guru when your karmas are balanced, meaning your good karma is not too much, you're not a Rockefeller, or it's not too bad. So, you know, a prisoner or something, a criminal or something. The Satguru lives permanently in the highest state of truth. He accomplishes all outer actions with a sense of detachment, enjoying in them the fullness of the self. He transmits to a disciple the highest conscious energy in the universe. Sometimes we know things intuitively in a flash. 
This represents a higher form of knowledge than our normal mental experience, which is verbal and slow. Similarly, we receive musical shape and form, coloring and pattern, without a single verbal thought. Now he's talking, of course, about the transmission of Shakti, but not only that, the guru's capacity to transmit their state of consciousness. That's the experience of the self. Higher than this intuitive realm is the realm of absolute consciousness, chitti. All knowledge is simultaneously present in this realm. The energy of consciousness transmitted by the Sadguru comes from this high level. It penetrates the seeker and cleanses him of mental impurities, gradually cutting through negative emotions, his bodily weaknesses, and his wrong ideas, and leading him to full absorption in consciousness itself. This chit shakti is the primal energy, the very source that playfully creates the universe out of her own fullness in free will. If you spend time around Baba or read his written works, you will become familiar with the language and ideas of Kashmir Shaivism, one of the philosophies of India. Baba has found this a useful vehicle for conveying his teachings to the world. But Baba is not a philosopher in our sense of the term. In the West, a philosopher proposes metaphysical systems. Philosophy for us is a kind of art, working with ideas and their relationship. A metaphysical system is not reality itself, but a set of ideas about reality. Baba is a guru, not a philosopher. The guru takes as his field of operation the real and the actual. He does not care about ideas for their own sake. He tries to point his students to the reality which exists apart from any words. He may use words to help in the pointing, but his interest is practical and not intellectual. Baba's use of Kashmir Shaivism then is not properly philosophical. He uses the concepts in that system as a way of directing people in their sadhana, their spiritual practice. He does not care about demonstrating principles or theories. He takes them ready-made and tells us to put them into use in our actual lives. Baba doesn't argue about the nature of God and self. He doesn't demonstrate that they are one. He sees everything as God, and we can see that he does. He is his own lesson when he says, see everything as God, do it. Don't merely talk and think about it. All high philosophies have some truth in them. Baba leans more toward Kashmir Shaivism than, for instance, toward Vedanta to clothe his thought. But that does not mean that Vedanta is less true. To understand the difference in attitude implied by Kashmir Shaivism and Vedanta, think of the room in which you are sitting. So when Baba first came to the West, most Westerners, if they'd heard anything about Hinduism, they would have heard about Vedanta. The main difference being Kashmir Shaivism says everything is consciousness, while Vedanta says everything is an illusion. 
It is a permanent structure, the room you're sitting in. Four walls, a ceiling, and a floor. This permanent structure, which remains the same no matter what kind of furniture or event takes place in it, we can call the self. It is the permanent substratum underlying whatever goes on in the room. The space inside the room is used in various ways. Sometimes a chair is removed. Sometimes one is added. Different people come and go. Now it is a place to read a book. Tomorrow there will be a party. This is normal reality, the world of ever-changing and fluid events. It can also be called Maya. The Vedanta Guru tells you that the room is the only reality because it is permanent. Ignore what takes place inside the room, he says, because it is transitory, untrue, unreal. Vedanta, therefore, can be life-denying in its impact. It seeks transcendence, getting out of life. This is a possible attitude, but it is not to Baba's taste, nor is it likely to make sense to the Western mind. Baba, like the Shaivites, says, consider the events inside the room. They, too, are real. The room takes different shapes. What we call the world is really the self appearing as the world. There are not two elements, one to be avoided. There is only the self taking many forms. Baba accepts the reality and divinity of the world as it is and urges us to see that divinity is the very fabric of the world. We don't have to search for some obscure substratum of reality. What you see is real. In Australia, Baba was asked how to see God in a tree. He replied that God is not hiding in the tree. He is not in the tree in some way, if we could only see him. He is in the tree as the tree. In his commentary on the Shiva Sutras, Baba has written, Chitti, Consciousness, the self is supremely free. She is self-revealing. She is the only cause of creation, sustenance, and dissolution of the universe, the prime cause of everything. She is also the means to highest bliss, all forms, all places, and all instant of time are manifested from her. Desiring to create, she manifests differences in her being appearing in countless forms and shapes. In man, this conscious spirit becomes the gross, subtle, causal, and supracausal bodies. She expresses herself as pleasure and pain, happiness and sorrow, fear, disease, and agitation, as childhood and youth, as heaven and hell. Creating all agitation, she infuses them with her spirit, Though Chitti becomes the universe in this manner, still she does not discard her transcendent aspect under which she remains exactly the same, full of light, pure and untainted. She is pure awareness, living in and as the universe. She is also a part for it, from it as its eternal witness. 
So he goes on, he says, the room and all the events and furniture within it are of one eternal substance. Maya is not an inferior, ignorant mistake. Maya is God himself. Baba uses the language of Shaivism because it appeals to his own life-affirming sense of pleasure with the creation. This world is not a test and a captivity for Baba. It is an arena of God's benevolence and a complex enjoyment of the, law, of the Lord's fertile artistry. So I think that's a, a very good uh, essay on how to deal with what we're going through right now. I don't know if all of you know that 15,000 people in three suburbs have been, are, are in lockdown now to uh, protect the rest of us. So, Okay, what do you think? The voice is different but the same, don't you think? Hmm? Yeah, but you can see he's on, he's, yeah. I hope Bob is happy with me. I, I think Baba was, as I said a few weeks ago, I, don't, I never saw Baba displeased with him. Well, only once when he told him the winds of Los Angeles has gone to his head. But that wasn't even that harsh because it was true. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, L.A. could go to anyone's head. Yeah. All right, Shakti Pot and Siddha Sadhana. What time did I start? How long should I go for? We have a short program tonight because we don't have Darshan, right? Huh? All right, so we'll see where I get to with this one. So Shaktipat and Siddha Sadhana. And remember, he's uh, educating new people. And there are a few new people in the audience. See, I don't know if you've uh, done meditation or whatever, but anyways, it's good introductory material. Once a seeker has received the grace of a Siddha Guru, the process of his sadhana unfolds. In some cases, the process is so subtle that it goes on beneath the seeker's awareness for quite some time. But one thing is certain, the grace of a Siddha is always effective. Once awakened, the inner Shakti never becomes totally dormant again. From then on, it steadily works for the betterment of the aspirant. So it is important that someone who has received Shaktipat continue his spiritual practice, meditation, repetition of the mantra with constancy. He should feel that he has received a unique blessing and should advance on a spiritual path with the enthusiasm and trust in the outcome. One should meditate every day in the same spot. It would be good if you could use a special set of clothes that only for meditation. When a place has been used with frequency for meditation, it becomes easy for meditation to take place there. But more important than place is regularity. If one is unable to have a place reserved for the practice, a seeker should not hesitate to meditate anywhere with complete trust in the penetration, penetration and unfolding of the inner Shakti. Shaktipat Diksha, the spiritual awakening, 
is an ancient tradition and is detailed in the ancient scriptures. This quote is from Studies in the Tantras and the Veda by M.P. Pandit. Whatever the path chosen and discipline selected for the seeker, no real sadhana begins till a relationship is established between him and the guru. And this relationship starts from the moment an inner connection is made between the two as a result of something from the consciousness of the guru entering into the being of the disciple. This entry of the guru into the disciple is aptly described as the impact or descent of the higher power, or as we like to call it, the descent of grace. The conscious power of the guru, or of the very divine through him, Shaktipat. Where this Shaktipat is not, says the Shastra, there is no fulfillment, meaning spiritual fulfillment, because the Shakti does imbue us with a kind of satisfaction, a kind of contentment, a kind of at ease, because it's the most satisfying experience of the self that a person can have. Baba is the first to bring information on this mysterious process to the West. He may also be the first guru with the power of Shaktipat to travel in the Western world. In his works, he details the various remarkable kriyas, yogic movements, that happen to a seeker blessed with Shaktipat. Shaktipat is tr transmitted through the prana, the breath, which may be close to what Bergson called Ilan Vital. According to yogic philosophy, prana is the dynamic element that leaves an organism when it dies. Even beginning meditators experience prana, the life force. It is common for a meditator to feel pressure in his head as though he were wearing a hat. Sometimes he feels vibrations in different areas of the body, sometimes shock-like feelings, Sometimes his head is heavy and he feels like sleeping. All of these are common experiences of prana. You don't have to have a shaktipat to be familiar with pranic movements. If you come across an old friend, you get a rush of delight. If you see a tough-looking man on a deserted street, you might get a rush of fear. These rushes, like all emotional and psychic movements, are pranic in nature, even thoughts are pranic movements. Through Shaktipat, the prana is quieted, purified, and made steady. In practice, this means that thoughts calm down, emotions become less turbulent, all the areas of subtle life become balanced and healthy. Siddha yoga is, in the final analysis, a kind of body alchemy in which the distortions of the system are righted by the health-giving influence of the guru's prana. Looked at from another point of view, Shaktipat is a kind of contagion, like a contact high. A buoyant person makes us happy. A sad person makes us sad. Our environment is critical to the way we feel, and we react to this in our lives when we select favorite colors for our apartments or wear clothes designed to create psychological effects. Just so, 
the Sadguru's superconscious state raises his disciples' impurities. Instead, he takes them to himself. The stronger mind wins. In due course, he turns the disciple into a guru or turns the di disciple into like himself. The intensity of inner experience varies. Sometimes the meditator may feel only the most tenuous link with the guru. It is particularly during such times that he learns to appreciate the mantra he has received. The repetition of the shakti-imbued mantra ties the aspirant immediately and closely to the guru. Feeling estranged and alienated, the seeker need merely repeat the mantra to himself, and the guru is his. Since it is always at hand for use, the siddha mantra is a great boon. Baba emphasizes the power of words. Among words, none is more powerful or more purifying than God's name. The mantra is fully charged with spiritual force, and if we trust in its power, we can feel its effect instantaneously. The meditator should find a way for the mantra to work for him. He can feel that the guru is being burned away by the mantra. What? That doesn't make sense, does it? The guru is being burned away? His divinity is being tapped. I think it should say ignorance is being burned away. And his, his divinity is being tapped. His heart is being opened. His intellect deepened. He is linked inextricably to the guru. The mantra tells him he is one with the self. He is utterly free, creative, unlimited. Such an attitude of trust makes mantra repetition extremely effective and pleasurable. One repetition with faith and understanding is worth hundreds of parrot-like mechanical repetitions. So what he's really saying is love, devotion to the highest, devotion to the guru, to God, to the self is the thing that ignites the mantra's power. Baba used to say all the time, you know, repeat the mantra with love and it will take you across the ocean of suffering. The heart of the Siddha path is meditation. And remember, Baba called his yoga Siddha Yoga. And so the Siddha path, which is the path we're all on, even though we don't call it that, is uh, not dissimilar to what Baba is, is, he's, is, Swamiji is talking about in terms of Baba's ways. In meditation, the mind, instead of being extroverted, as it normally is, is turned inside. The energy that usually passes to the outer world through our sense organs remains within and works to enhance us. The energy in both cases is the same divine kundalini energy, shakti. There is but one energy in man and woman, and in most people it only works in ordinary ways to conduct the affairs of life. In those who have been awakened by the Sadguru, however, it works inwardly, on a much larger scale. The highest kind of meditation involves completely silencing the mind. The introverted mind rests in the self and is quiet. It draws strength from that deep and stable place and reawakens to the outer world refreshed and powerful. 
We can never overestimate the beneficial effects of meditation, simple as the process is. Every desired object of life is more easily attained by turning the mind inward than by pursuing it in the outer world. A mind made strong by meditation becomes as firm as a rock. It becomes clear, simple, and straightforward. Our bias in favor of manipulating the outer world has made us feel helpless in regard to our own consciousness and often helpless even in regard to influencing the outer world. A meditator loses the paralytic feeling of helplessness. He learns beyond any doubt that by healthy thinking and proper mental discipline, he can create a reality proper to him. He enjoys the play of forces in life and becomes unafraid of change. The seeker should meditate in any way that works for him. Some temperaments enjoy meditation on the formless or impersonal aspect of God. Others find that they need a form, a personal God on whom to meditate. Whatever method that calms and quiets should be used, and this will vary with different people. Whatever method that calms and quiets should be used, and this will vary with different people. I just repeated that. <laughs> a great deal, it must be important. A great deal of energy is wasted on theological debate. God hasn't created a maze or a puzzle for us to solve. He is not out to trick us. In whatever way we try to reach him, he will respond with joy and rush to meet us. He does not care which school of thought we espouse, to which religion we belong, but it is essential that we meditate on him in some way. Baba advises seekers to cultivate the habit of seeing everything as consciousness. This approach is to be taken even when not sitting in formal meditation. Everything that arises in consciousness is to be regarded as a form of the divine, the play of consciousness. Many internal movements take place in meditation. These should be considered movements of the goddess Chitti, benevolent maneuvers of the guru's broom as he sweeps clean the murky places that obscure the light of the self. God is everywhere and in everything. Therefore, how can we avoid meditating? What mental state is not meditation? What thought or event or object is not God? Very good, huh? I like them. Okay, last one. Should we continue? Yeah? I don't know how you're doing out there in Radioland. There's no way to know, is there? Are they getting bored yet? You getting bored yet? Huh? <laughs> Swamiji is a great teacher. Look, there's no doubt. And he, when Baba was alive, you know, I mean, maybe I'm biased. I don't know. I always thought he was the best teacher, the best educator, because he was trained as an educator. You know, he was a professor, so he knew how to, he understood how to teach and how to make, uh, you know, the mysterious, uh, the mysterious ordinary. 
how to make the mysterious ordinary and the ordinary mysterious. That's, that, now, that's quite a talent. All right, last one. Discipleship and freedom. Yeah, well, like, who says you have freedom if you're a disciple? You know, people are wary of exploitation. Whatever their theoretical objections to the institution of the guru, an overriding concern is fear of domination by another. <laughs> but some people like to be dominated. Uh, another By another mind and another will. And it cannot be denied that lesser gurus exploit in ways that can be simple, money, sex, or complex psychological and psychic power games. The Sadhguru, however, is not an exploiter. If we look at all, all of our relationships objectively, we will find that they are all exploitive to some degree. We use one another for comfort and security, if not for more gross purposes. Only the relationship with the Sadhguru is not based on need and insecurity, but constantly renews itself without constraint. The Sadhguru is simply living his life freely and happily, communing inwardly with God, his inner self. People come to the Guru because they love to see, sporting with God, a being who does not involve himself with the needs and barter of conventional relationships. The Sadhguru wants us to be free, too. That way we can be part of his play and not make the constant demand that he enter an attached relationship with us. Instead, we can enjoy freely in his company the sport of God without jamming it up with self-concern and fear. It is in the Satguru's interest for us to become free. That is all he cares about. All he wants from us is our own freedom. He does not ask us to become like him, except in his freedom, for God has created many forms. Each personality, each character is an example of perfection, and the Satguru does not tamper with that multiplicity. So in other words, Swamiji is always saying, you know, become the best you you can be. And he's even saying that back then. The scriptures delineate certain basic yogas, Karma Yoga, the yoga of action and service, Bhakti Yoga, the yoga of devotion, and Jnana Yoga, the yoga of knowledge, the head, the heart, and the will. When we begin our inner quest, we find that all these yogas or disciplines apply to us in some context. The Sadhguru takes all this into account. He does not mold disciples to some preconception. He allows their development to unfold in harmony with their nature. A sitter's head, heart, and will are in perfect balance. Therefore, he can understand the process going on in each devotee, despite manifest difference from person to person. Of course, in the beginning, when you first meet the guru, there is a discipline that comes from the guru. Because we're used to asserting our beliefs, our opinions, our values, you know, what we want from the world, out projecting that out into the world. But what the guru does is the discipline that he gives us is to turn that within, to look at what those tendencies really are, the tendency toward anger, the tendency toward depression, the tendency toward fear. We can't understand those tendencies until we do that. 
And so there's a discipline on conversation and action that comes automatically from the Shakti and the Guru so that we can learn how to discipline ourselves eventually. The secret of his ability to guide so many disparate types is his ability to let be, knowing that God, his inner self, leads everyone from within. Because discipleship implies a relationship of enduring intimacy, we fear that we will lose our personal independence. But the relationship with the guru contains this paradox. It offers us an experience of freedom, inner freedom, perhaps our first. Relating to the Satguru, we relate to our very selves, and the needful clinging of our other relationships is purified. Baba's teaching exhorts us to find freedom here and now. He does not want to bind us to a long spiritual search, full of frustration and dependence on him. He wants us to be free in God right now, just as he sees we truly are. And I think it's true. I think when Baba looked out at others, he saw his own self. He didn't see even the most contracted as somehow different from him. He saw everyone the same. He only saw the self. And Guruji's vision is also that way. Baba writes, the entire world has to depart. Yes, but before departing, there is one thing you must do, and that is to attain the self. You are the self. The self is yours. Live forever for yourself. You are constantly thinking about your body and identifying yourself as an individual. Stop, stop. After discarding that, those ideas, think, I am the self. I am consciousness. Right now, this very instant, start saying, I am consciousness. I am Brahman. I am the self. Dance with one idea. I am the self. And then you'll see the self reveal itself. Samaji goes on. Baba doesn't want disciples bound to him for years of dry spiritual practice. He wants free beings, celebrants of God. We are the ones who try to explode and bind the Satguru, not the reverse, but he is too clever for us. He dances out of our offers to relate in an attached way and sets us free. Because the minute we start looking at the guru as a person, it limits our capacity to receive what the guru has to offer from his highest state of consciousness, which is grace and shakti. We are only afraid of our own exploitive tendencies, not his. Baba has said that to be bound to God or guru is to be unbound. His whole life is his service to Bhagavan Nityananda. He is absorbed in his work, and a work has been given to him which perfectly expresses his character and his unique destiny to be separate from all other beings, to be inwardly isolated is the opposite of freedom. For such a condition only results in the intense pain of the individual ego. Freedom is found by linking up with all beings, and the means of that is service to the guru, 
and the self in our own way. There we go. That's powerful, huh? Whoa, a little controversial, though, probably. Right? All right, it's time to meditate. And uh, let's take Swamiji's, uh, or the the last uh, quote from Baba, as the theme of our meditation. And he says, when he says, before departing this life, There is one thing you must do, and that is to attain the self. You are the self. The self is yours. Live forever in that self. Think, I am the self. I am consciousness. Dance with only one idea. Remember, I am the self, and immediately the self will reveal itself. We'll meditate for uh, 10 minutes and then that will end the program for tonight and I hope to see you all again very soon.